Today, we're talking gender and leadership. It's no secret that women naturally possess great leadership traits, but only 5% of them right now hold top spots in the Fortune 500. We'll dissect why that is and what it takes for women to move up to senior management roles. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 77 of the Love in Action podcast, where we help make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. If you follow the show and what I'm about, you're probably aware that I'm an advocate for diversity, equality, and inclusion. And I'm also an ally to women. It's one of my greatest desires, and that is it's to help more women get into the leadership ranks. And for good reason. Even though women make up nearly half the workforce, at least here in the United States, and they hold over half of the country's middle management positions, only 5%, according to research, 5% occupy the top positions at the 500 top companies listed on the New York Stock Exchange. This is bad news not only for all those capable but overlooked women, but it's also bad news for the companies themselves. Why? Because research has found that gender diversity leads to higher financial returns. Plain and simple, it's great for business to have more women in upper management. So to stay true to my convictions, I feature women leaders here in hopes that what they share will not only teach and inspire other women to lead courageously, but also break down the barriers that hold women back from leadership roles. That's why I am thrilled to have with me today, Deborah Smith Pagay. As an African-American woman who has served as a VP for a Fortune 500 company, Deborah has witnessed firsthand the importance of diversity at the top. She is the author of a brand new book, Lead Like a Woman, which is packed with research as well as her own experience as a woman who excelled in places that, you know, that just weren't always set up for success. Deborah is an award-winning author TV host of the faith-based program, Winning with Deborah. She's a global speaker delivering advice on relational, financial, physical, and emotional freedom. And as I said, she's held executive positions in some of the largest corporations, including MCA Inc. Universal and Hughes Aircraft. Honor to have you join us, Deborah. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you, Marcel. I love your work. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much. We love to start the show with a gratitude moment. So we do that every time around. What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? Well, especially this morning, because my husband's been away for eight days and eight nights. <laughs> so it was just nice to have him back in the house. I don't like staying by myself. <laughs> I, I, get up, I get up full of joy every morning because I know it's a new day and everything's going to work out for my good. I just believe that. So I always have too much to do, and I love that too. <laughs> I love it. Well, I want to jump right into the book and really leave no suspense here about the title, Lead Like a Woman. 
So to me, that's pretty bold and, well, maybe provocative if, if you're a man not really <laughs> familiar with the leadership strengths more natural to women. You might just kind of shine it off and not even pay attention to it or act defensive towards the title. So I'm going to get into all of that stuff about how women and leadership traits that are more akin to females and all that. I'll get into that. So don't worry, folks. We'll dive right in. But the title, I want to get this right off the bat. It can be off-putting for men. So that begs the question, who is this book intended for, one? And two, why did you write this book? Why now? Well, it's intended for anybody who is exerting influence because as my old mentor, John Maxwell, used to say, and he still says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So it's not just directed toward the woman in corporate America, but any woman who's leading any effort, whether you're planning a bake sale or the annual Christmas dinner at your home or something for your community or something at the school, women have influence. And so I'm just teaching them how to, how to do that in a way that's productive and fulfilling. And so it's, it's intended for any woman who, who's doing that. And, and let me just say right off the bat, it is not a male bashing book. My whole premise is that men and women have to work together. So that's, mm-hmm. I, and I start with the garden. Not, I'm not talking about the book, just the premise is from the Garden of Eden, where they were told to go and replenish the earth, Adam and Eve. Neither right. one of them could fulfill that mandate independently. So I say, okay, <laughs> we, we're trying to work together. So I'm trying to get women to work together with men. Let's stop this hand-to-hand combat. Let's, let's go hand-in-hand cooperation and see what we get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So that answers kind of my question about, you know, how do you write a book without being divisive or, you know, exalting women over men? No, no, no. It's not that. It's, it's very unifying. I consider myself a peacemaker, a unifier even among the races. And so I'm continuing that theme even in this book. And that's why I start out by telling them right away, it's not a male bashing book. If you're a woman and you think this is, I'm not exalting women over men. None of that. I'm not even telling you how to accommodate men. I'm just telling you to be you, bring you to the table. I love it. Okay. So let's get into the first part of the book. And maybe this is an answer to perhaps the question, well, how do you lead like a woman? You propose 12 powerful, inherent, and Well, stereotypically, female traits, but that's arguable too, because I can tell you that men have to have these traits as well to succeed as a leader. So these are the traits in part one of your book that give you an an edge in today's culture. So let's get into those traits. What do women possess that make them strong leaders? Maybe even for my male listeners, what, what can men also learn here? Well, I'm glad you said it that way. I love how you ask questions because you're the best. (laughs) But really, all of these traits are traits not only that women should bring to the table, but men as well. And so if you talk about it, it could just easily be said, these are the 12 things men should bring to the table. But just being collaborative, that's the number one thing we're known for. Women are team players. We don't come to the table with this huge ego. We like teamwork. We like getting other people involved. And my whole thing is that let's make sure we manage these traits. So these, these are great traits to have and you find them inherently in women. Most women not painting everybody with a broad brush, but sometimes you can be so this trait until it, it, it really turns into a liability and no longer is an asset. So let's take being collaborative. Let's say you just love everybody coming together and you'd like to get that input because none of us is as smart as all of us. Hey, what happens when you have to make a decision and you don't have time to get that? then you're going to have to make a hard decision because you can get to the point where you're so collaborative until you just don't make, you, you're, you're afraid to make an independent decision. So you don't want to do that. That's not leading like a woman. That's leading like a wimp. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so there's another trait. Let's just call it being nurturing. And 
women are nurturers, you know that, most of us. Again, not a broad brush, but you can be so caring and caring is so critical in the workplace because people, you know this, people engage better when they know you care. However, you can be so caring until you become mothering. And so you don't want to become mothering to the point where you allow mediocre behavior. And so, you know, I am personally interested in people's personal development. And I had a person I had invested in once a lot of time. And then when I gave her some, an assignment or I called her on some of her skills that weren't up to par, she said, I thought you were my friend. So I said, okay, obviously my approach failed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm trying to help you develop. But obviously I had gone overboard in that what I called an asset had become a liability. Mm. So that's another trait, but I won't go through them all. But another one that I'd like to just kind of talk about is the fact that we are intuitive. Women have that sixth sense, you know, even without having learned or whatever, without even data, sometimes we just know the character or the motivation of a person without them saying it or without data. And that's something you want to bring. You want, you want to embrace that, you know, that's a God given trait. And so you don't want to say this just may be me, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love the intuition. Let's play with that a little bit okay. because, you know, some of the best traits of a leader are, is the one that is curious enough to ask questions. And I think that that's the intuition kicking in is curiosity, right? You don't make assumptions. You want to make sure that you're reading the room and getting perspectives from varied sources, right? I think that yes. to me, that speaks to intuition. What about you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it comes from listening too. You know, you can't, if you're doing all the talking, then you're not really keying into people's behavior, the nuances, you know, even body language. And I love to watch that. I can tell when somebody's not being sincere, you don't have to call it out, but then you know what you're dealing with. And I think that is, that is a great trait to have. I think if I had to prioritize them, I'd want to know that. I'd want that sixth sense about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, okay. So you mentioned three, the collaboration, the nurturing and the intuition. Nurturing can sound so feminine, right, Deborah? Yep. Yep. If you translate it into my male brain, I speak a lot on servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the servant side of servant leadership is the one that cares for people, right? But the leadership side is the one that holds your feet to the fire. So there's that balance again, right? Yes, yes. And, and a lot of times we mess up with that. Uh, as a woman, sometimes we'll, we're so busy serving, we forget to lead. Yeah. <laughs> Just remember, it's a servant leader. You know, you serve, <laughs> but above all, you lead. And so I, I, I hear you. And, we, and, you know, we come to the table with that. And sometimes we will work too much. We'll find ourselves serving in places we don't need to serve. Or we're now the mentor for every woman that has come into the organization. Or in my case, if there's a black person, when I was in corporate America, I felt obligated to make sure that that person understood the culture. And, you know, and I'm personally mentoring to the point where I am just working overtime because I spent all my time trying to be this servant person. And, you know, so so you got to balance it again. You got to balance it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very important for people to know that, yes, you can be nurturing. You can, you can care for others, but you also have to hold them accountable and they have to perform with excellence. I mean, there's, you have to have high expectations for your people as you lead them or, or else you're what I call a country club manager. You're just out there rah, rah, rahing the troops and making sure they're having a good time, but just handed the keys over to the, the inmates basically, you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can be so, so bent towards that until you just like, I don't want anybody to dislike me. So the fear of not being part of the team anymore, you know, emotionally or whatever, can make you not do that. It can make you not make a hard decision. So it's like, mm. okay, come on. This is, this is the role of a leader. Get comfortable knowing that at any point in time, somebody probably isn't going to like a decision you've made. And you got to be comfortable right. with that. Yeah. That's good. That's good to know too. So 
of the 12 traits, these powerful, inherently feminine traits that we aspire to be and do, did any of those float to the top? As you were writing the book, you're like, ooh, yeah, this one weighs heavier than the others. Yeah, I think just being vulnerable. And we try Mm. so hard as women not to be vulnerable. We don't want to show any weakness because then we're not acting like a man because men don't show those weaknesses. And so I think it's okay when you come to the table and say, this isn't my strong suit. But, you know, people don't hire you because you have all of those skills handy. It's it's like the research shows that a man will apply for a job if he has 60% of the qualifications, but a woman will usually only apply if she has 100%. Mm. Well, you see, you don't need to be, uh, you you can be vulnerable. I, I was hired once for a position. I didn't know their accounting system, but I was the VP of finance. I, did, I wasn't hired to know the mechanics of the accounting system. So I could have easily let that dissuade me from doing it. But I'm just like, no, I can, you know, I'm here to manage that piece. You know, so it's, it's like, okay, be vulnerable, but don't be too vulnerable. Don't tell too much. Right, <laughs> let some of right. your weak side show. And it's, and it's okay to do that. Yeah. Okay. okay. So let's go through part two of your book. And okay. you cover the counterproductive tendencies that we need to let go of, especially if you're a woman, right? So can you walk us through a few of those? Well, pursuing perfection. Many times we just got to, we got to make sure we don't, we hold on to it until it's just perfect. I always like to say, and I've heard other people say, done is better than perfect. Sometimes you just got to let it go. It's good enough. And so if you got, you got to make sure you don't get stuck in that trying to just be so perfect. Because what I found is that people who try to be perfect, they're really trying to avoid criticism. And mm-hmm. so there's a difference then between being perfect and being excellent. You know, excellence comes out of a passion to see it done well. And so you got to step back and ask yourself, am I just being a perfectionist? And if so, what, what do I fear here? But also, I, one of the things that rises to the top for me is women who lack executive presence. You know, you have to show some sense of authority. You can't be tentative in putting forth your ideas. Well, this may not be right or this may not be. No, 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 you don't. You don't, you know, sabotage yourself with that kind of language. You have to be authoritative in putting it forth. And most of the time, we have the answer. <laughs> when I say yeah. we have the answer, we're not going to put it out there if, if we're tentative about it anyway. We just don't want anybody else to think that we're so confident, which, which really makes me upset. <laughs> yeah. Because this whole thing about no confidence is because we have not been socialized to be confident. That's not a trait that we admire in women. She's confident. Oh, no, now she's trying to take over and be like a man. No, you can be confident and still be gracious. You really can. That's right. Yeah. That's it's, right. it, choose your words, say them with conviction, say it loud enough. You've heard that situation where women, a woman will say something in a meeting. A man will come right behind her and say the same thing and get more, a better response. I say maybe she didn't say it loudly enough. But in the book, I teach women how to take back that point without being a, you know what? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So in a sense, what you're saying is kind of like you're telling women to be a little bit more masculine but yet balance it out with your femininity. And, and I don't want to call it masculine as much as just being direct, authoritative, because who said that those words were only associated with men? You know, sure. that's, that's how we've been socialized to believe. So I'll say, here are traits that, that seem to work for men. Why don't we emulate some of those traits? And not just emulate, make them your own. Become that confident woman. Become that person who will make a hard decision. Become that person who can be objective when, it needs, when you need to be. You don't have to be cold, but you do have to be objective, especially in evaluating performance and not tolerating poor performance. Those are not male traits. Those are, that's business. That's, yeah. that's what it takes. That's strength. Yeah. I love the fact that you just corrected my own perception of how <laughs> I was interpreting this and trying to attach it to labels, male or female. And really, you're, you're bringing us back to the middle 
These are just yeah. great traits to have, whether you're a man or a woman. And also, we got to get rid of those things. So uh, the, I'm talking about the counterproductive thing. So yes. let's go back to one, perfectionism. Okay. I'm really curious. I want to make this actionable for our listeners because <laughs> if you're human, you probably struggle with some type of perfectionism, right? So how do we stop being a perfectionist? Well, so, sometimes we need other people to see us because we, none of us has 20-20 vision on ourselves. And so for, if you've heard that you are that kind of a person, let's, here's, here's an example. When I was in corporate America, I had, I, I'm very particular about how people write, you know, and all this stuff, not ending sentences with prepositions, you know, like just make you crazy a little bit. And so one day the person came in and she had written a memo and for my signature and I, I didn't change it. I just felt intuitively like, just let her have this the way it is. I would have worded it a little differently. So it didn't have to be perfectly my way. It had to, and so it really empowered her when I said, okay, that's great. That, that's fine. It's okay. She said, no changes. Oh my God. You should have seen that her whole face changed. And I thought, I got to do this more often. I got to stop deciding things aren't perfect unless they're exactly the way I want them. Lest somebody says I can't write because I'm a minority and I have to write well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so you see, you can be so busy trying to avoid those stereotypes, whether it's racial or gender. And so you just want to make sure that you learn how to let it go and ask people, ask for feedback. There's nothing like feedback to get you going and on the yeah. right track. Yeah. Yes. Yes. As humbling as that sounds. Yes. We need feedback, constructive feedback, good or bad to yep. help us to grow and see things a different way. Speaking of seeing things a different way, I want you to speak to the female that is aspiring to become a leader like yourself, go up and perhaps one day, we hope, break that glass ceiling, become a CEO. So what do you think is the most common obstacle that these female leaders are facing today? Again, they, it comes back to confidence. When Harvard and mm -hmm. the other schools have done the studies of the competencies, of the of 10 competencies, women excel in eight of them except for the confidence. And mm. so women got to know that they can because, and so that if you don't think you can, you won't even apply. So it's really not all, let's say, men's fault that we don't have a lot of women in higher positions because sometimes we don't aspire to those because we don't think we can. You know, we just need to learn how to show up. So what does that look like? That means if you don't have all the qualifications, apply anyway. Give yourself space to live outside of your comfort zone because that's where you're really going to grow. So the best way to do that is to do something in public that you don't do that well yeah. or, or to apply for something that you really don't have all the qualifications for. Whatever makes you feel uncomfortable, run towards that. Yes. I want to continue to just, just drill down just a little deeper okay. on the confidence part, okay? Because I can almost see the wheels turning and my female listeners, they're like at the edge of their seat going, I want more, I want more. Deborah, tell me how can I be more confident in this male-dominated world that I'm in. So what would you say? What are some techniques, strategies, maybe, you know, things that they need to do day to day? Okay, day to day. I'm a woman of faith. I, confidence means with trust. I don't necessarily limit what I approach based on my education or my experience. And that's very key. So you don't need to analyze yourself. And the minute you find yourself saying, I've never done that, or I'm not good at that. That's not my strong suit. How about deciding that you'll make it a strong suit, especially if it's something you're interested in? Because when we have a passion for something, we're going to research. So you always, I say, confidence is rooted in knowledge. So the more you know, the more confident you're going to be. Well, who, what precludes you from knowing something? Read, read about the things you want to know, get mentored, pay money. I, I, I live in a passage that, from Proverbs that says, buy wisdom, 
buy it. I buy, I pay, I, I spent thousands of dollars on classes on how to be a million dollar author. And I've sold over 2 million books. So that's not too bad. Nice. But so you, you want to invest in your learning one-on-one development, whatever that takes so that you get to the point where your knowledge base is enough for you to say, I think I'll try it. So uh, that's, that's very important. Invest in yourself. Mm, you're so inspiring. Listen, I want to get into your personal story. You went okay. from working as a maid to eventually you know, becoming a successful businesswoman. I want to hear what advice you have for women, especially minority women, about how they can succeed as you did. We're going to unpack Deborah's personal story and her advice after this short message. Don't go anywhere. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com and click on virtual training. Okay, we're back. Tell us your journey from your humble beginnings as a, as a Southern maid to climbing a corporate ladder to the top. I'm interested to know, what were some of the biggest obstacles you faced along the journey? Well, one of the biggest obstacles, of course, being a black person, and I don't, and I am certainly not the victim because I, I say that nobody can hold me back, but just try not to perpetuate a stereotype. You know that you come to the table as a woman, that's a set of stereotypes you're going to have to overcome, and then you're a minority. But I don't lead with that. I try, I try to ignore that. I make an assumption that everybody means me well. I can't get stuck in thinking that everybody's going to discriminate. So I just assume that they're not. And that's a great mindset for me. But I also know even when I see it, and it's obvious, I just pretend it's not there or I will confront it, but I confront it in a way that's not hostile. Uh, let's say I've been passed over. I didn't get an assignment and I'll just go straight to the person who could have made a difference. And with as much great attitude as I can, I'll say, I was really disappointed with that decision. Can you tell me what I need to do next time so that I am just right there for it? Cause I really want to do it. You know, I, I really want that. You got to ask for what you want and you can't, you can't be shy about that. Let me tell you this quick story. I was in, and I'll tell you my story in a minute. But I was in a meeting where I knew I should have gotten a bonus and I w- it was a big project. They gave the construction manager, a, had him step out, gave him a five-figure bonus. Nobody said a word about me. I'm thinking, I'm going to get a bonus too. So I, I stood up and I said, I'm going to leave the room now so that you can discuss my bonus. I just said it just like that. But you could have cut the silence with a knife. But I stepped out and they gave me a bonus. <laughs> you have to ask for what you want, no matter who you are. And don't, be, don't worry about not asking. And here's the deal. Keep a great attitude. You got to 
I don't care. You can't get stuck in being the victim. You can't get so demoralized that you start to sulk. You just got to get back in there and say, let them know you're a team player. I want this. And no matter what, I'm going to keep moving forward and keep your eyes out for other opportunities. Because at some point, you have to realize when you're going nowhere in an environment, and then you got to be willing to step out. But you got to be prepared because you got to keep networking. You got to always have somebody who can help make a difference. We can't do this alone. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to the story because I'm, I'm just curious about tie, okay. tie that in from you know, starting in your humble beginnings as a maid to all the way up to executive level. You got it. I, I was 14 years old when they passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I knew the education was critical. I was born in the South and it was at that time that they integrated all the facilities. So all of a sudden on paper, we were equal. I knew that it was going to take more than that because that Civil Rights Act changed behavior, but not beliefs about Black people or whatever. I went to school. That was important. I had to get credentials so I could have credibility. So I went to uh, graduate school as well at USC, got an MBA. Whatever I found out you needed to do so that you had the credentials, that was the least thing I wanted to be a hindrance for me. I wanted to always be qualified on paper because believe it or not, as I was growing up, they always told us, you're going to have to be twice as good to get half the credit. Now, that didn't make me not, not, not like white people. I just knew I better try to be twice as good so I could get half the credit. Well, that was motivating for me. It wasn't demoralizing. So I went to school. I excelled. I, I, I um, majored in accounting. When I went to work for a CPA firm, because at the time I graduated, there were only four black CPAs in the entire state of Texas. They never sent me out on a job. They said, I just, our clients just aren't ready to see a black person auditing books. So I moved to California where the clients were re- ready. <laughs> and I went to a CPA firm, just got all the credentials for that. And just, you know, just built my way that way. But networking, crossing the line. You, you got to make sure you're always connecting with the majority culture. You need that. You know, you can't sit back and say they should get to know me. It was incumbent upon me to, for them to get to know me. I made sure that I initiated that. I was hired once in a job that was for affirmative action. I was an affirmative action hire. I had the most credentials in the entire environment. There was nobody else who was a CPA and an MBA. And nobody would invite me to lunch the first week. I just said, well, that can't be. So I just got my purse one day when I saw them pass right by my office. And I said, do you guys mind if I join you? And they said, of course not. So listen, make a long story short, when I left there, I had five goodbye parties. I've just always decided I'm going to be the initiator. Whatever it is I want, I'm not going to wait for people to come to me. I'm just mm-hmm. going to initiate it. So that has, that has been the secret. And of course, being excellent at your work, I, 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 tend, to be, I tend towards a little bit of workaholism because I, I like my work. But it's important that people know you work hard and you have to have the right image, understand the culture. Listen, I, I can't say that enough. Too many times, a lot of times, Black people haven't seen the kind of cultures that we have. Even something as simple as how you travel. I found out as I've been on boards and all of that, they don't bring a lot of clothes. We, we don't check luggage. <laughs> we dress very simply. That's part of the culture. What you have to understand is part of the Black culture. We like to dress nice because they always told us, even if you have nothing, look like you got something. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> you mm. see how that so it, that kind of translated and always have like matching shoes, matching purse, matching clothes. So, yeah. that, you know, that's not part of the culture. And so those are the kind of things I like to mentor women with, especially minority women, how to get in there and ask, find mentors and advocates and how to in, uh, understand the culture. Just understand the culture. What an amazing story. And my takeaways just from that, the last couple of minutes of listening to your journey, I can boil it down to three things. One is, well, hard work, obviously. Yes. Two is perseverance. You knew what you were up against. You knew the, the obstacles in the path. I mean, especially, I mean, 
hello, yes, this is a racist country, but I'm going back to the 60s and 70s. It was much worse then oh, yes. uh, for women like you to go through all of those things. So I can't imagine you never gave up. And the third thing is to make all that happen to me, positive attitude. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. see, that's based on my faith. I have a standing reference that I use, Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for my good because I love God and I'm called according to a purpose. That's why I like to say I'm never a victim because everything's going to work together for my good. Now, I'm not naive about that. Even adversity, there's, there's, some, there's, there's purpose and pain. I really believe that's just not a saying for me. I, I saw every obstacle as just a, a hill to climb. And, and I, it, I was excited about climbing it. Like, I'm going to, I'll show them when I was in high school, they consolidate the black high school, the white high school. And everybody said, you know, if you had stayed at, if we had, if they hadn't done that, you could have been the valedictorian of the class. Guess mm. what? I was a valedictorian of the class anyway. Yeah. So, okay. you know, see, I like to do those things that people say I can't. That means I'm going to do it. I mean, that, it's a game for me. It gets to be fun. Just watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to correct myself because I just called. I said that we live in a racist country. That's not a true statement. We live in a great country. Unfortunately, we have some racist people that live in it as well. So. Yes, and I'm glad you said that because I tell everybody, don't paint everybody with the same broad brush. I have a lot of white friends. I have a lot of black friends. And I can tell you, a lot of my white friends have opened doors that I could have never gotten without their mm. influence. And so that's why we need both sides. We need to understand each other. We need to talk. You need to hear my story. Thank you for listening to it. And that, that needs to happen on an individual basis across this country, because I find that the more white friends you have, the less you hate white people, <laughs> yeah. the less yeah. you paint them with the broad brush, I should say, and vice versa, vice versa. Right. Yeah. right. Let's talk a little bit about DNI or DEI. There's been this recent push in corporations to become more diverse. And some of it by my book, this is just my opinion, I think is disingenuous and it's become more cliche than actual practice. So Speak to the CEO, Deborah, about how having a diverse leadership team can benefit an organization. I mean, you saw it firsthand. Absolutely. And it should just be so that you can, on paper, you can say, I have X number of Blacks in this position. There is an advantage to bring a diversity of, of opinions to the table. I was in a class once and they asked us, the, the professor came in with this glass and he said, name the various ways you can use this, this champagne glass. Well, we, as an individual, we got about 10 each. Then he put us together and said, now I want you all to get together and find ways we can use this glass. We had about 35 uses. Here's the point. None of us is as smart as all of us. And when you bring various degrees of views, views to the table, listen, you can't help but win. You just can't help but win. So whether that's gender or race, you need that, you need that input. I mean, why have a, a company that's just built on one idea, the opinions of just a, a unique group of people? That's, that's not good. That's not good business. Yeah. It's not good yeah. business. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have seen so much happen since the George Floyd killing. And, you know, I had Laura Morgan Roberts, a Harvard scholar, come on the show to talk about privilege and unconscious bias. So sticking to the theme of race in the workplace, in business, how do, deeply rooted do you feel is unconscious bias and white privilege in our hiring practices and, and in promoting women leaders up the ranks? Well, I, I'm going to go with the data, the okay. research. Studies have been shown when people submit resumes and they use black sounding names like Lakeisha or whatever. Sorry, somebody's out there named that. But they also had the same resume and they use Sally or Jim. They found that the response is much better when they didn't think it was a black person. There is still some unconscious bias. And the best thing you can do, anybody can do is to say, you know, really get in touch with your unconscious biases and ask yourself that. I call it doing a beliefs audit. 
what beliefs am I holding about black people? Do I really harbor some kind of a belief that says they are slightly inferior, maybe shouldn't go to this level? You got to ask yourself that. And I have to ask myself that as well. Do I assume that all white people not want me to succeed? We got to get rid of that and say, okay, call it what it is, abandon it by doing the complete opposite of what you believe, become an ally, you know, really, because I don't think this push to get more blacks or more women in the workplace, it shouldn't just be something that's on paper. It's an intent to say, I want to embrace them because I believe they belong here. If you don't believe it, then, then you won't push it. You won't be an ally. You'll just, you'll just be complicit. Yeah, that's great. I want to save this question for last because so many people work in fear-based work settings. They fear their bosses. They fear losing their jobs. They fear speaking up. So why, and I don't know if you have any research to back this up because I find it hard to find sometimes research to answer this question. I've, I've asked all my guests, I get a myriad of answers. So why do you think fear-based management styles are still so prevalent today when we have the evidence that practical love and care toward people, our employees, lead to good business outcomes and high performance? Well, fear is a motivator and, and, it, and it works. When I say it works, it, do, it works in terms of getting people to get the job done. It doesn't work in terms of enduring loyalty and that kind of thing. But think about it. We fear losing our livelihood. And so we're going to do whatever that takes. And that's going to make us hate the boss because we know he doesn't care about us or she doesn't care about us. But if we, we, we have to know that model doesn't work. All the studies show that companies who care, who nurture, who do all of those things, who collaborate, their bottom line is much bigger. And if they have women on board, it's even bigger, (laughs) even more. And that's a fact. And so who does that fear model anymore but somebody else who, who is fearful? You don't need to be controlling like that. It's okay. You don't have to have that scarcity mindset that you're going to have somebody under you who is who is better or, or any of those things. And listen, if you're that kind of person, I've never been a person who operated in that kind of fear. I have to speak truth to power, but I watch how I do it always with with graciousness. But I just look like, okay, that's not good. I, even even if it doesn't impact me, I, if I see a manager being mean, I'll say you may not be aware of this, but that was very demoralizing for that person. Mm. Yeah, I do. I, I'll defend the, the people who don't have a voice. I've never worried about not having a job or whatever. I just knew that somehow or another God was going to take care of me. So I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, sticking to that theme a little bit, I want to flip the coin. I want to make the link between leadership and practical love. The whole reason why we call this show Love in Action. Love in this case is a verb that helps to inspire and motivate people. So how does a leader love well, day in, day out? Well, if love is defined, and and there are many definitions, but as wanting the highest and best good for each person, then you get on that track. How can I help this person? I love when I worked at a certain company, they looked at our weaknesses and they uh, they sent us for classes to take that would help us with that. I, I had this weakness of jumping in. If we were in a negotiation, I couldn't stand the silence. It's like, oh, I got to say something. But that was that was power that they were using. And they said, no, 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 you're going to you're going to sabotage the negotiation if you do that. So they sent me to classes on how to learn how to be silent, how to negotiate. You see, if you are trying to get my highest and best good, then that's you, love isn't mushy. And, you know, I hug you. I love you. It, it, it's what you do. And you already know that it's, it's what you do. And so you got to watch what you do day in and day out and ask yourself, how am I? Am I really a, a cog in this person's development? I can't be so self-focused that I'm not even thinking about them. I'm just trying to achieve point A because that's where we're trying to go. I had to learn that the hard way. I lead a prayer group and I had to learn that. I want things to last just only a few minutes because I don't want it to drag and drag. And so I tell everybody, you got to get your testimony in in 15 seconds. Well, the average person hasn't learned how to do that. 
So, you know, I have to find a way around that. I got to say everybody can't get theirs in. Maybe we're going to select five this time. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's that kind of thing. Love is wanting the highest and best good for a person. That's mm. a good thing. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, to me, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's to me is, is aspiring to the highest good in an individual. And I think we do that. We love well by developing that person, by growing people around you. And, you know, there's the business case for it right there, Deborah. Right there. When you grow people, it's going to grow your business. Absolutely. And, you, and it's, there's nothing like loyal, engaged people. And people, when people know you don't care about them, trust me, they don't care about you either. <laughs> <laughs> They will leave you in a hot second. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, it's been such a great conversation. Before we wrap up, is there any question I did not ask that I should have asked that's pertinent to our discussion? Well, I want, I guess in terms of how men can support women better, yes. I, I really want to encourage men to express your support. If you see that we're being disadvantaged in any way, speak up for us, invite us to those environments where there's an opportunity. I encourage us to network. So I want men to really become better friends of women, better allies, mentors, sponsors, volunteer to do that. Don't be afraid. Perfect. Okay. So we end our episodes with two final questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? Oh gosh, this political divide. I just don't, I want people to respect other people's right to differ. Different isn't wrong. It's just different. And so I don't want people being mean to others because they like candidate A and you don't like candidate B. I don't even want to speak ill of any candidate. Just just vote your choice and you don't have to hate people because they don't agree with you. That's really bothering me. I see it too much in the news, the the vitriol, the just oh it's it's terrible. It just it's depressing. It's depressing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree with you. And finally, you close us out with one final thought, a takeaway, something that we can walk away with that's gonna make a difference in our lives. I want everybody to embrace the concept of leadership. Know that you are leading, whether you have delegated authority or not, you are influencing somebody, even if it's just the people in your household, you are influencing somebody. Do it well. Do it well. Be a servant leader. Collaborate with them. Make people feel important. It's, it's important that you make them feel important. So be sensitive to that. Lead and lead well. Excellent. I am so impressed by your wisdom and just just everything about you. So I, I'm truly honored that you came on the show and I know it's going to make a difference in, in someone's life listening to this show. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Marcel. It's been my pleasure. The book, once again, is called Lead Like a Woman. My special thanks to Deborah Smith-Pagay for sharing her wisdom and thank you for joining us and spreading the love and action movement globally. If you liked this episode, will you do us a favor? we would be grateful if you could just share it with others. Finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love in Action podcast, I'd love to chat with you. Just reach me on my website at marcelschwantes.com. Join me next week as I sit down with author Carrie Wekelo to discuss her latest book, Culture Infusion, Nine Principles for Creating and Maintaining a Thriving Organizational Culture. Until then, remember... The future of work is love in action. Try it and be convinced. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.